Today, we're going to begin a new series in which we're looking at the book of Jonah. And in some sense, when we think about the book of Jonah, of course, we can't go help but go back to our childhood. And in some sense, the book of Jonah belongs to everybody, uh, right? Because what do we think of when we think of the book of Jonah? We think of the story or the aspect of the story of Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. And so when we think of this story, we think of it as a children's story. And yet something interesting has happened in the last couple of years. Um, grown men and women, <laughs> thoughtful people, uh, people like Tim Keller, people like Ta-Nehisi Coates, they've gone back to the book of Jonah. In fact, they've written commentaries on the book of Jonah. And it's not because they're flummoxed by the idea of a great fish, but because some of the very same issues that we're struggling with in our culture, Jonah was struggling with too. And so leading up to Christmas, we're going to be looking at this book, uh, for a variety of different reasons, but we're going to be looking very closely at this book. And so with that in mind, let's uh, begin right now. Why don't we go ahead and you can look at your uh, the monitor or you can pull out your Bible, whether it's on your phone or in, uh, in book form there in your lap. Let me go ahead and read verses one through three only today of the book of Jonah. This is what Jonah says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. That is God's word. Uh, with this passage, we see one of, one of the main themes of the Bible. Uh, with this passage, we see that, that God has called Jonah into something new. He's calling him outside of Israel. He's calling him to a new country. He's calling him on a, a new mission, right? And what we know from the Bible is that whenever God does something new in the Bible, he's always up to something good. Whenever God is doing something new in the Bible, he's always up to something good. In Genesis 1 and 2, the very beginning of the story, God creates the universe. He creates mankind, and it's good. It's very good. And in the book of Isaiah, God gives this incredible vision of an eternal city. And he starts off that vision by saying, I am doing something new. So from beginning to end, whenever God does something new, it's because he's, he's up to something good. And that reality is the basis of this exchange that we see here in these first three verses. Jonah is called to the great city of Nineveh to do what? To speak against its evil. And yet he flees. Why? That's the big question. So in answering that question, let's just look at two things. Let's look at who he is and how he responded. Who he is and how did he respond? Well, who is Jonah? Jonah is a prophet right? Now, to be a prophet is something that maybe many of us as New Yorkers would really relate to. Why? Because a prophet was essentially a truth teller. He just, he told the truth. That was his job. He told the truth to people in power. He told the truth to the common people. He told the truth to religious leaders. Jonah spoke the truth. Uh, he called out injustice. He exhorted God's people to stop worshiping false gods and, and turn back to Yahweh. 
And, you know, false prophets, those who misrepresented the truth, those who misrepresented God, they were killed, you know. And so Jonah just wasn't a prophet. Uh, he was a prophet of record. He was a prophet with a, with a, with a, um, a track record. So Jonah was a servant prophet who was faithful to the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord was faithful to him. Now, what's interesting is we learn a little bit of a, a backstory in 2 Samuel 14, a little bit more about the nature of a prophet. Uh, where do they get their, their uh, commission? Where do they get their wisdom? And because we know that this response that he has is, is an unusual response. It's a new response. And so it's worth looking at who Jonah is, not just in the moment, or not just who he is by title, but who he is by quality, you might say. So we're told in 2 Samuel 14 that the prophet Jonah, the son of Amittai, was a servant of the Lord. And as a servant of the Lord, Jonah had this unique role. He had this unique relationship with God. Uh, as a servant prophet, Jonah, consider this. Jonah shared counsel with God. Jonah met with God. God spoke to Jonah and Jonah spoke to each other. They, they had counsel with one another. It's an astounding thing to say. Consider Amos 3. Amos 3.7 says that the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to the servants of the prophets. Now, you may not believe in God. Uh, you may think that that idea that Jonah and maybe a small cadre of people, small cadre of brothers, that they stood in the presence of God and, you know, they felt the pressure of his will upon their spirits, as one author says. You may think that that idea is right up there with being swallowed by a fish. But just think about this. If it were true, wouldn't that be a remarkable thing? What an astounding experience that would be, how that would shape you, how that would strengthen you, how that would form your character. Uh, if you felt the pressure of God's will upon your spirit, what a privilege that would be. Now consider that out of that experience, out of that relationship, that was how Jonah's, Jonah was commissioned. That's where Jonah got the insight to go and, and minister and speak the truth, to be a truth teller. That's where he got his quality. So that's who he was. He was a prophet. Um, but what, how did he respond? How did he respond to his, his new call? Why does Jonah flee? And I think it's safe to say that Jonah flees because he hates Nineveh. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he doesn't want God to bless Nineveh. See, we know that when God is up to something new, he's up to something good, right? And Jonah knew that too. And Jonah knows if he's going to Nineveh, God is going to do something good. And, jo and Jonah, because of his relationship to Nineveh, he doesn't want that great city to experience God's great mercy. And where does that, 
where does that kind of hatred come from? How does that kind of callousness, that kind of, uh, well, I just said it, that kind of hatred, where does that kind of hatred come from? I think two places, pride and pain, pride in his nation as God's chosen people and pain that he'd seen and experienced at the hands of Nineveh, uh, the pain that he'd experienced uh, at the hands of the Assyrian nation. So pride and pain. So let's just look at pride first. You know, Jonah was a prophet, as I said, you know, and his job was to go around. And let me just think about, let's think about his prophet likeness in this way. His job was not just to tell the truth, but he told the truth to do what? To strengthen to strengthen the nation of Israel. And so he strengthened them through exhortation. He reminded them of what? That they were God's chosen people, that they were a holy nation, that they were different than every other nation, that they were separate and distinct, that God, the creator of the universe, was their God, that he covenanted to them, that he was committed to them, that there was ultimate safety and security for them in this relationship. And when he did this, Jonah told no lies. And yet what all scholars, both Jewish and Christian, would say is that while Israel was a chosen nation, they weren't choice, right? They weren't superior. They weren't chosen because of their choiceness. Right? There was an innately anything superior about them that made them God choose them. In fact, in every way, the qualities that they embodied were the qualities that the world finds inferior. They were small and weak. They were often poor. They were often um, um, uh, divisive amongst each other. They were always being run over. They're always being ransacked. They're always being thrown into exile. Uh, they were the doormat for other nations. And what do we, but what do we know? about countries that are weak and poor, who persevere. We know that countries who are weak and who are poor, but who persevere often are proud in the best way. They're proud of where they've come from. They're, they wanna maintain their heritage. They wanna hold on to what is dear. And so, you know, countries like that, uh, citizens like that, we. We take our history, we hold on to it, we protect that narrative, that story, and that nation. And we want to make sure it, it, it lives on, right? whether you're Israel or not. And when we live out that narrative, it makes us feel connected. We're proud of something larger. It becomes satisfying in and of itself. And oftentimes, we begin to... Um, live out of that narrative in such a degree that we be begin to make decisions out of that narrative. There becomes a, and well, I don't want to belabor the point, but, you know, James Baldwin says that we're all trapped by our own history. We need something to uh, come in and break us out. So let me just assert that Jonah's proud of his nation, but when pain enters in, that pride takes on another shape. You begin to look down on other nations. 
not just be proud of your own. You begin to say, I would never be like them, right? I know um, older Korean men who uh, for decades would refuse to buy Japanese products. Why? Because of Korea's experience with Japan. And they would hold a grudge. Uh, they were, uh, they experienced pain. They had pride in their own nation. And so there became a kind of moral superiority, ethnic superiority. And in many ways, I think this is exactly what, what Jonah is feeling. So there's a sense of pride that's at the seat of his hatred. There's also a, a, a true sense of pain. You know, Nineveh was the greatest city within the Assyrian Empire. And though Assyria had not conquered Israel, they came pretty close. Uh, they were a cultured city. Assyria was a brutal power. Uh, they were a feared nation. And Jonah would have seen with his own eyes, uh, both the physical and the emotional scars that Israel received at the hands of Nineveh. So it's pride and pain that's at the heart of, at the, that's at the heart of this hatred that he has. It's pride and pain that leads him to dehumanization of others. It's, it's this pride and pain that doesn't want him, doesn't want others to experience the mercy of God, though he'd experienced the mercy of God. But what is God doing? He's sending him out to Nineveh. He's sending him out to Nineveh so that, he, so that another nation, by confronting them, might receive mercy. You know, there's something really interesting when you become proximate with somebody else. When you become proximate, when you become close to somebody, you begin to see them differently. You, uh, your stereotypes of them begin to change. They become less and less uh, a, 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 a category, less and less a stereotype. They're, they become less and less general and more and more specific. They become more and more human. You know, it's easy to hate somebody from a distance, but it's really hard. It's really hard to have that hatred remain intact, uh, have the fire burning when you're up close and you're personal. It's really hard. And I think in some ways, God is saying, I want you to go there, not just for them, but for you, Jonah, for you. You know, we've just planted this new church. And one of the uh, values of the church is that we want to celebrate the image of God in anyone and everyone, that we refuse, in a sense, to be enemies with anyone based on those things that the world often uh, create enemies about. Race, politics, money, privilege, um, you name it, right? We refuse to do that, but we want to look across those differences, not denying that they're differences. And in some sense, never even uh, making, you know, recognizing that we're going to always have differences. We'll always have them, but we want to love across them. We want to love across them. And here's Jonah being sent across, across the border. He's being sent to be proximate to another people. Why? Because God is a generous God who doesn't just love Israel, but is using Israel as a, as a, um, 
as a microcosm of his mission in the world. And this sending is saying he's moving out. So we love people because they're all creating the image of God. And if you're creating the image of God, then every person, despite their differences, is worthy of your time, your energy, your respect, your patience. It's worth putting yourself in their shoes. And that's what God is asking Jonah to do. To, so that he can help him overcome his pride and help him overcome his pain. You know, what does Annie Lamott say? Annie Lamott says that you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. <laughs> now, it's hard to imagine that Jonah would have had a relationship with God um, based on what we've just talked about, that he didn't know the deep recesses of God, right? It's hard to imagine that he would, he needed to learn more about God, but he did. He absolutely did. You know, even Jonah, the prophet, even a prophet of God is in process. See, you and I should be able to relate to Jonah really well because he's just like us. He's in process. He happens to have a particular role, but he's no different than you and I. <clears throat> he's no different than you and I. Jonah worshiped God as long as he loved what he loved. Jonah worshiped God as long as God loved what he loved, as long as he hated what he hated. And because of that, he was unable to see the true God. He was un unable to see the true God. And part of being able to see the true God is you're not able to see what God sees. Now consider this. God says, I want you to go to that great city and speak against their evil. See, that's a staggering thing to say. They're not just great, but they also are doing evil in every great city, including this one, New York, has that same problem. People who are creating the image of God are capable of doing evil, great evil. Great evil. And, you know, sometimes when we're so blinded by the things that we uh, hate, when we're so blinded by our pride, when we're so blinded by our pain, sometimes we can only see either what, the thing that we love or the thing that we hate, and we can't hold that nuance together. So some people come into this neighborhood along the High Line, and all they can see is the beauty. All they can see is the renewal. All they can see is, is this, uh, this new neighborhood with all these new, uh, new and beautiful buildings. It seems so glamorous down here, it's so affluent now. But, you know, some people come into this neighborhood and all they can see is the gentrification. All they can see is how people have come in and taken advantage of an opportunity when it, it's, when it now suits them despite the fact that this neighborhood has been here and the people have been the same, in many ways, the same people have been living in this neighborhood for decades when it was a no man's land to the elite, to the, to the wealthy, to the rest of Manhattan. Storefront church, because of both the justice of God and the mercy of God, our hope is that we're seeing both. 
that we see that uh, development done properly is life-giving to everyone. That we see that there's brokenness and and in all the ways that gentrification takes place and all the ways that the poor are marginalized, that we step in and fill the gaps, that we fight against that. We speak against the evil. And we recognize that the evil can be seen in the beautiful things and the evil can be seen in the broken things too. But you know what? There's a lot of beautiful and the things that the world doesn't look at as beautiful. You know, Miguel Acevedo is the tenant association president of Fulton Housing. And I've gotten to know them a little bit this year, and uh, I've been able to see them work. And, you know, he is a, he's doing God's work in that neighborhood as a volunteer. Um, just thinking about the ways that he's connected uh, all the other institutions in the neighborhood to the housing community, NYCHA housing community, and the ways that people have been blessed, uh, meals and prom dresses and job opportunities, on and on and on and on and on. See, we have to see that. And obviously, see how beautiful it is. But you know what? You'll never see it if you were not proximate. Storefront Church wants to be a neighborhood partner. And that is simply recognizing what Jonah doesn't recognize here is that the presence of the Lord isn't just with him, but the presence of the Lord is in Nineveh. It's in Nineveh. And part of our mission is to move into, uh, to be a part of this neighborhood. Some of us will move in here, but you know, Susan and I have been here for a long time. But to partner with people that are already doing God's work so that we can join them. So that we can join them and learn and take part and be blessed and be a blessing to others. So who is Jonah? He's a prophet. He's a truth teller. What happens to him? He's asked by God to go to a city that he hates. And yet he flees because he can't see past his pride and his pain. Oh, that we can learn from that. Oh, that as much as we're like Jonah, we should also be able to say, I don't want to be like Jonah. How can we live differently? Well, one way that we can consider living differently is to consider the presence of the Lord. You know, when I look at our neighborhood, as much as I, I, I appreciate it, um, and I, as much as I often dream, you know, in light of the high line, what if we were a city, or excuse me, what if, what if the greatest expression of renewal in this neighborhood wasn't the high line, but it was the people and the institutions around it that was so glorious? What if that were actually the case? What if we could be that? So what, what does that mean? Do we need to come in like Jonah? No. We need to recognize that there's a greater Jonah that has already come. And that greater Jonah is Jesus. Jesus has come to New York City. I know it's a crazy thing to say in the 20s, 20, in this century. <laughs> it's a crazy thing to say in 2021, right? But as a Christian, I do believe Jesus has come to New York City. And 
um, Jesus, the New Testament tells us, is that is one of the things that Jesus uh, declares about himself. It's not just that he's the Messiah, not just that he's the Son of Man or the Son of God, but he also says that he's a greater Jonah. A greater Jonah. And why would he be a greater Jonah? Because when God asked him to come to earth, he didn't flee. He said, okay. And when God asked him to come, he said, not only will I come, but I'll pay the price. See, when Jonah fleed, what did he do? He slapped the money down and he bought a ticket to Tarshish. He tried to get as far away from God's will as he possibly could. Jesus says, I want to enter in all the way. I will pay with my life on the cross to do your will. And so what does that make us? Does that make us uh, like Jesus? Yeah, maybe in some sense. But I think in another sense, as New Yorkers, really we're Ninevites. We want to bless because we've been blessed. How would the Ninevites would have responded had they seen Jesus? Look at what they did when they saw Jonah. They brought about social reform. What if they'd seen Jesus? Maybe they'd have brought about heart reform, true change. Storefront Church believes not only do we need social reform, but it all begins through heart transformation. That's where true renewal begins. That's where true renewal begins. And so what does this church want to, how do we want to be like a true Jonah, a greater Jonah? Well, we want to be radically accessible to the neighborhood, radically accessible with our lives. We want to uh, share life with people. We want to take this beautiful thing of the church, of the gospel, and to put it on the street so people can see it uh, in a six-day ministry space. So people can walk in the door, they can see people uh, through the windows, that we remove all barriers and we're radically accessible, not just with our bodies, but in how we communicate with the gospel too. What we provide for the neighborhood, how we invite people in, radically accessible. But we also want to be a, a community that doesn't look like either Israel, and I don't, I don't mean that in a terrible way, either Israel or Nineveh. We want to be a a combination of the two, a truly diverse community of enemies who have become brothers and sisters, natural strangers, enemies who've become brothers and sisters. That's what we're all about. Uh, uh, we want to be a multi-ethnic community that represents every tongue, tribe, and nation. And in, in every tongue, tribe, and nation, there are a plethora of issues for which the world would contend we should be enemies, but Jesus Christ, the true Jonah, says no. Because I've come, I've laid down my life. I've done the will of God so that you now can have a true relationship with God. So that you can have not only peace with God, but you can have peace with men. That's the beauty of the gospel. Would you join us in this mission? And would you pray for this mission? Uh, we're not trying to build a big church or, yeah, but we're trying to be a great people. 
that serves a great God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the story, and I thank you for the ways that you minister to me through it. You're kind and gracious. Lord, we want to answer the call, and we want to arise and go when you say arise and go. Would you, by the power of your Spirit, persuade our hearts and minds towards your ends? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.